Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Well, hello, everybody. Uh, Edition of the Red and Black Podcast. Uh, I'm Isaiah, your host, and I'm joined by my team coach, Gregory Anderson. How are you doing? Oh, just peachy keen. Well, we got some news today, some devastating news for the Vikings. Teddy Bridgewater, out with the torn ACL and another report, a fractured, or not a fractured, but dislocated ankle or something like that. That's no a dislocated knee. Dislocated knee, which doesn't inherently mean the kneecap, which doesn't inherently mean the patella, which doesn't inherently mean a whole lot. Uh, what they are diagnosing is the dislocated knee with a torn ACL and potential other structural damage, being um, other parts and pieces, but uh, no nerve damage and no patella uh, injury. So there you go. Well, I don't think it hurts them too much as long as Sean Hill doesn't make too many mistakes because they really didn't use Teddy Bridgewater's arm a lot last year. Okay. I mean, they threw the ball uh, one of the second least times in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I don't. Weirdly enough, you know, I don't think this is a team that needs to quite panic on it, although I don't inherently trust Sean Hill for a year either. Trade for Aaron Murray. Um, probable. Courtney Andy Reid. Uh, I mean, we'll see what they do. At this point, I think you just do your best to have some veterans in there. Um, well, they just called back Brad Swarson as their sex backup to Sean Hill. Yeah, and you never know. Maybe if Mark Sanchez gets cut, they go after him. Well, Aaron Murray's like that. Zach Mettenberger was cut today. Austin Davis was cut a couple days ago. I could see Zach Mettenberger. That'd actually make a ton of sense if you think of a guy who can hand the ball off and then chuck it deep. That makes sense. I just don't I don't see them making a trade at all. John, um, Austin Davis got cut. So yeah, I mean, hey. Trade for him. Uh, I, mean, I mean, there's not a whole lot of other guys out there. You have to fight for the Cowboys to find a backup quarterback. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. I, I don't expect any earth-shattering moves coming out of Minnesota. I think some of the talk of you know Minnesota going and trading for a quarterback, I don't, I don't see it happening. You know, they're gonna deal with whatever's there and um, hold on to their butts. Well, transitioning to another thing, Joey Bosa finally under contract. Woohoo! We need some air horns or something like that going off. Uh, the world's stupidest holdout ends in unceremonious fashion. Ooh. Um, so, Rory, you want to get into some of the rest, surprising roster cuts already? 
Colin Kaepernick signed an endorsement deal with Jaguar. That's a surprising cut. Who? Just kidding. Um, yeah, so um, surprising cut. I think Paul Kruger. I think Paul Kruger was interesting. Uh, a little surprised that one happened. Did they actually um, sign them yet? Do you know? Then there well, he's going to go through waivers. That's true. Or no. Hold on. Well, he's visiting the Saints today, or he was supposed to. No, no, so never mind. He's not going through waivers. He doesn't have to go through waivers. So, yeah, um, I mean, maybe. I don't know. He's going to end up somewhere. I mean, he's a decent veteran, you know, so he's going to. You put him in the right system where he doesn't need to be somebody who's constantly um, uh, relied on to be a 20-sack guy, he's going to be just fine. A uh, surprising one for me is Pot Roast. I really thought that could have worked out in New England. Yeah, they've always had a bigger nose tackle type because they do that kind of 3-4 hybrid look. Um, he He's going to land his big butt somewhere. Um, I, but he's a bit of a dying breed. There just aren't a lot of teams that utilize players with his particular skill set. So I think he's finding it hard to uh, really stick somewhere, but I'm sure he'll end up somewhere. Jeff Schwartz, that cut by the Lions, would seem really needing guard help. Or oh, yawn. Help in general. Yawn. <laughs> Not as good as his brother anymore. Uh, there were some younger players that got cut that I thought were a little interesting. Uh, of course, Rory Anderson got cut, which means the Raiders need to sign him because that'd be freaking awesome. <laughs> um, John Warner was cut by the Jaguars. So. Yeah, Bjorn Warner was cut. Uh, another interesting, another interesting guy. Definitely right. has not lived up to it. There are a few running backs who got cut that are interesting. There's the uh, kid from Tennessee. He got cut. Uh, what was his name? David Cobb. Did he get cut? Yep, David Cobb. Really? Yeah, I'm trying to think. Yeah, he got cut. Uh, I didn't even know. I didn't even see his name. I'm looking at the NFL.com Twitter at. Oh, Terry Riley got cut. Who has turned out to be a pretty good coverage linebacker. Possibly a good fit for the Bears. Don't know what they're looking to do. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of what I noticed. Uh, mostly, players are going to cut a lot of running backs. A lot of weight in the running back position to get cut. Um, there wasn't. I don't. I don't know. There wasn't anybody really that shocking outside of I would say probably Paul Kruger, and I guess um, maybe Pot Roast. But that's kind of expected. You know, a lot of low end veterans on trial deals got cut. You know, like a Matt Shaughnessy, those type. Um, you know, but otherwise, not really that shocking. No, uh, you know, Dion Bailey got cut. That was interesting. I just think that's fascinating. Hmm. Uh, Steven Payet was cut. He was supposed to be a real good signing for the Red Saints. What was that? Say that again? Steven Payet cut by the Red Saints. He was supposed to be a really good signing like two years ago. Yeah, another really big guy. 
Um, again, it's, it's, it's a dying position. You don't see a lot of it. We don't see a lot of the big nose tackle. I mean, look what happened with San Francisco and their big nose tackle, right? They were going to go sign him to a big deal or whatever, and then he gets hurt, and then, you know, there's all that kind of, uh, you know, all the things that happen there. It's just not a position that's highly utilized. They don't create sacks. They're not that disruptive. Major you know, right it's kind of like, cut. what's Safety. that? Safety major right with cut. Yeah, major right's nothing. I mean, <laughs> fourth or fifth, you know, corner. I know Bleedy Ray Wilson was cut. Uh-huh. Um, he's young enough to be interesting. You know, that's somebody someone's going to look into. Um, tall, long guy from UConn. Uh, Zach Brooks, seventh-round pick from the Seahawks, was cut. Who I really think is Zach Brooks can be a really good special teamer. I mean, that's what he's going to excel in in the NFL. Or possibly a passing down back, but I really think he could have made it in Seattle, but they're just loaded at running back. They drafted a bunch of them this year, too. Three of them, plus they had a couple guys. Yeah, plus Thomas Rawls. Uh, I know Storm Storm Johnson and Gus Johnson both got cut. <laughs> a couple of guys who I thought would be interesting running back prospects. Well, Gus Johnson showed something in the preseason a couple of years ago, and Gus he can't take preseason seriously. But of course, he was on Cowboys. So yeah, um, you never know with some of these guys too. I mean, there's a lot of things going on, a lot of moving parts. A lot of them could be really hard to determine. What's that? A lot of them could be really just fit. That could be. The really interesting one is going to be um, the next round of cuts. Where we, I think is where we're going to see some real interesting names potentially hit the market for teams You know that are going to be looking that way. Brian Browner's gone. Man, he was out the door anyways. <laughs> he really was. He His time had been closing quickly. Big time late bloomer. You know, converted from a safety to a corner. Yeah, after really having that success in Seattle, never really duplicated it. And even then, reality is random. his success was limited to maybe a couple years. Chris Gibbons, Ruben Randall. Then you know, wide receiver core. I mean, it wasn't really good to begin with. Yeah, um, I mean, most of these positions, there's just not a whole heck of a lot, you know. I mean, so a lot of the 75, though, too. Exactly. A lot of these guys are um, free, uh, undrafted free agents. They're guys who, you know, are bottom of the roster, they're going to be lucky if they made that special teamer kind of guys. Um, you know, maybe s- some of the cuts, uh, we could say, you know, what do they infer for maybe some of the position battles on certain teams? You know, like you could, see, you know, maybe see some position battles here and there, maybe clear themselves up. But outside of that, really nothing big going on, so. Well, was a trade. Niners traded for Jeremy Curley from the Lions. 
was who. Um, they lost um, Bruce Ellington, the injured reserve today. Mm-hmm. Another big speed blow to their offense. Yeah. Uh, eh. <laughs> I don't Stephen know. It's kind of... <laughs> Stephen Hill was kinda, <laughs> Yeah. I mean, again, Stephen Hill, yeah, eh. he hasn't done anything to warrant any shock for being cut, you know? Who's well, supposed to be the next Calvin Johnson and just kind of... Yeah, second round pick hasn't done anything in far for for four or five years. I'm forgetting some guys that were cut. Then, two thousand it was a two thousand thirteen draft pick in the recent week. I think it was the first round draft pick. I don't know. Okay, I got a question. David Emerson, he was drafted by the Raiders, right? Or no, Emerson was drafted by the Redskins. Ah. He was drafted by the Redskins out of North Carolina State. After leading the NCAA in interceptions in the season at like 13, I think. Or was that the year before? He might have led the NCAA in interceptions the year before. Something it was one of those two. So I was reading an article about that, and I'm like, I'm pretty sure he was drafted by the Raiders. But anyways, um, I really cannot compare them. Okay. What was that? I really did not prepare that well today. Um, oh, see what happens? You harass me about making sure we do this tonight, and you're not even prepared for the quest. Oh, dude. The layoff. I really, really injured my back at work. Today. Oh, excuses. <laughs> oh. I mean, realistically, this isn't that inspired. You know, there's there's not a whole lot going on. I do think what's interesting in terms of impact, uh, of all things to talk about, really is the Teddy Bridgewater injury. Because well, I, I am going to be fascinated well, to see an, how this... Well, there is a one other topic that needs to discuss. We don't have to spend a whole lot of time on it. But, uh, what Colin is it? Kaepernick. Oh, okay. Oh, I could spend hours on this. <laughs> Why don't you go ahead and start off, though? No, no, no. Let's do you first, because I can ring and rave. This is right up my alley, so. Well, uh, I'll let you fill in your piece. I really have nothing really to say to this other than, are you freaking kidding me? (laughs) Uh, Colin Kaepernick just sat out during the national anthem, and his response to doing this is he doesn't feel like Black Lives Matter. Are you kidding me? What is I think, what does that have to do with that at this time? You're not honoring your country at this time. I, I, I think mean? there's Oh no, I and I totally do, because I think what's being lost here, and I think there's I think there's two sides that are completely valid, and neither one of them really pertains to the other. And so what you have 
is two people, two groups of people yelling at each other, and neither one of them registers with the other because realistically they're not addressing what the other one's saying. So you get the black lives. To be honest, I thought Kaepernick was Hispanic a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think you really know the difference, to be honest. Well, the other thing about Colin Kaepernick, and the other thing about Colin Kaepernick, too, you know, he, he might be biracial in the sense that he's half white, half black, but he grew up in Turlock, California, a place that's about 15 miles south of where I live. Uh, it's nothing but whites and Hispanics. He, it's not like he's growing up in, like, downtown Chicago, where he's constantly around the African-American community, has really seen blight and the plight of people who really are impoverished in that sense. I mean, there are poor people in this area, but yeah, I, his... I feel like when, when he talks about the subject, he's doing it very much realistically lacking a lot of information and he's speaking from a place where I don't really think he's thought about it beyond rhetoric. Um, and this, here's my point. So you have the Black Lives Matters group, who I do think make some very uh, premise of a lot of what they're trying to say, I think is very valid. Um, and I do, it does resonate with me in some sense. In, in the idea that, okay, yeah, of course, I understand what they're saying with the Black Lives Matter. You know, uh, things are going on within their community that need to be addressed. Totally understand and agree. I'm not even arguing with that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you have, like, the flip side of this, right, which is people going, well, this is unpatriotic, which is stupid because in the same sense, the freedom of expression and the First Amendment is extremely important. And if he doesn't want to involve himself in, you know, doing something nice for the troops or whatever, he doesn't have to. Whoopie do. I think the problem with Colin Kaepernick is he sounds like a whiny five year old. <laughs> and he's in no and he's in no position to be doing that right now in this career. Well it, it, I, it's the in. way it's the way it came out of his mouth. Mm-hmm. When he says black people and you know, basically goes black people like me are being oppressed when he has a hundred million dollar contract and there's pictures of him with his Lamborghini with his Capri pants. I mean, it's hard to take that guy seriously, right? Especially with because, that afro. <laughs> I kind of do like his afro, though. The afro with the beard thing doesn't work, but the afro is not that bad. But the, the, problem, <laughs> the problem Kaepernick has is there are a lot of people in the African-American community who are going through a blight, who are in areas where it's a hellhole, who aren't being listened to, who aren't being treated right. And that can go down a massive political discussion that, you know, uh, I can go on for hours about where that comes from. But the issue is, yeah, he's right. There is a prob- There are problems that aren't being addressed. But it's kind of like when Beyonce goes and brings up all the mothers for all the victims of the shootings and stuff. Well, like half you of those... bring up Beyonce? What? You literally just bring up Beyonce. Yeah, and I'm going to for a very legitimate reason. When Beyonce goes and, like, the VMAs brings the mothers for all the shooting victims, right, and she brings them up, well, half of those, there's a reason, there are legitimate reasons why those shootings happen. Like, say what you will about what happened in Missouri, the, you know, don't shoot, hands up, don't shoot, that's been proven through the course of the investigation to be completely false. And don't forget that the victim punched the cop in the face and tried to take his gun. What do you think is going to happen? In Minneapolis, it was a uh, it was an African American who had a gun pointed at the cop, and an African American cop an African American cop shot him. So there are all these different layers, and what's happening is people are 
immediately taking events, wrapping it into a political package, and forcing you to jump on one side or the other. The American public is being played, and it's being played like a violin, because instead of people waiting to really react to facts, people are reacting to things that they haven't been able to really think through. And that separates people. It doesn't allow you to actually understand what's occurring. And I think, and this is what's happening with Colin Kaepernick, and this is putting so much bigger issue. Colin Kaepernick is working off of a lot of assumptions. He's working off of a lot of rhetoric. When has he gone back to the fact, yeah, he does make very good points, but I think his conclusions might be different. And I think that's the same for a lot of people in a lot of respects. Um, so, I, I, like I said, the big problem here is you have two sides who are both yelling at each other, and neither one is addressing the concerns of the other. So, like, if you ever go into a debate, right, like I was in debate in college, and you're told when you're reacting to what the last debate group said, you actually take notes and everything they say so that not only do you address what you have to say pre-prepared, but you also address and counter everything they said. But what's happening is one side saying something so one side saying something, they're listing 10 grievances, and the other side doesn't address it and then list 10 of their own. And then the other side gets pissed because they didn't listen to the other side. It, mm-hmm. It's just a vicious circle of nonsense, and that's, that's the problem. And I think it's sort of blown out of proportion to begin with. Absolutely. It completely is. And, and I made this example on Twitter. It's like when, I, when I'm at a sporting event and people we sing the national anthem, I always say, I always say, when the park comes up, home of the free, I always add used to be to the end of it. So I always say, land of the free, used to be, and then continue. So that's my own little political jab, right? Kind of, you know, my up yours. But, you know, there, there are ways to do this, and I think... He had an opportunity that if he wanted to make good political points, he could have done it. And I just think he didn't handle it in a way that really came off speaking to as many people as he could to really make the point well. I think he could have expressed the point much better and been a much more effective voice for whatever it is he was trying to say. So. So we can try to wrap that this little topic up a little touchy to begin there. Um, you see Donald Trump's comment on Kaepernick finding this country. Well, anytime you're anytime you don't trust to react to it, it's just Facebook. Just oh, don't. You know, it's a it, it, the reaction to Colin Kaepernick has been. I think completely outrageous. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's only it, it's only occurring because people have been put in a place to get at each other's throats, and everybody's just trying to one up the other person, and so it becomes this opportunity for everyone to just take pot shots at each other. Mm-hmm. Um, let's move this discussion to a little more of a debate. I, I'm under the assumption David Johnson has not earned the title of the top back in the NFL. Everybody else seems to think so. Thinks I think it's sort of fantasy consensus. But what has he earned? He's shown flashes, 
but he's only done it for about half a season. Why are people making him out to be a top running back? Projection. He's not. It's all projection. I know, and I've mentioned that. And they're like, "Oh, you don't know if you're, you don't know what the f you're talking about," and a bunch of other crap. I'm like, I can name you five guys right now. I'd rather have over David Johnson that have shown that they can do it. They have a track record. I'm not saying David Johnson cannot be a top back, but right now he is not. He literally played, and he is not. He doesn't not even have the pedigree. You could say the same thing for Todd Gurley, but there was a reason Todd Gurley was the sixth overall pick. But, you know... 12 or 13, I think. Or something like that. But those are two different types of players. I mean, David Johnson was an afterthought, and he came on in the middle of the season. Well, David Johnson, David Johnson, they didn't even want David Johnson necessarily, per se. They wanted Amir Abdullah, and they missed mm-hmm. out on Amir Abdullah and had to settle for David Johnson, but they like him. I, I think here's this is the problem, and I think this is definitely the problem with running backs, is we are at a time in the NFL where the running back position is massively changing, and I think what's happening is we're seeing that running back is becoming a position that really realistically, outside of being able to pass block, it's kind of a dime a dozen position mode. In most cases, it really is and kind of a dime a dozen. And so anytime you have someone who kind of looks like they're separating themselves from the pack because it's just a big pack of bleh, people talk about them being like the next big thing. But I do think really what that means is that person really isn't comparable to historically what a running back looks or acts like. You know, so for instance... Is, can David Johnson be a top five back in this league? Sure. But a top five back in this league may realistically only be the equivalent of what used to be a fifth, number 15 back 20 years ago. And you I know. think that's the point I was trying to make, that people want to make strong consensus about all this. And I'm like, if you listen to what I say, I'm trying to make a pretty good point here. But no, you're effing crazy. You don't know what you're talking about. Did you watch any of the tape last year? Yeah, it's my team. I watched every game. Unfortunately, every game. But I, mean, I like him. I think he's a good player, you know. And I, I, and I think too. what he does, I think I what he too, does but... is very interesting because he compares a little bit to Lev Bell when you think about kind of their size and their ability to operate in the pass game. I think that's fascinating. Big guys can catch and run. They're different types of runners. In a way, yeah, I could I could see that there, there definitely is a. I, I think Lev Bell's a little bit bigger. I think he's a little bit stronger, whereas I think um, David Johnson's a little more finesse. I think but David Johnson's a little closer to Shady. I mean, yeah, the he's way got a little more wiggle. I think he's got more wiggle. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, and I do think that's that that's a definite differentiation you can make. Uh, but it's but to be you know a 225 pound back and catch the ball out of the backfield, you know, and, and line up as a wide receiver still is a pretty different kind of skill set. You know, mm-hmm. it it's just running backs. We we gotta face it. We we have to, I think as a culture really reviewing the NFL. Not, I mean, have, we don't have our Priest Holmes. We don't have our Sean Alexanders. We don't have our Amon Greens. We don't. 
we're not in that era. No, and, and I think I definitely think that it's dying out because of what's happening in high school and college with spread offenses and the way in which running backs are utilized and how people are looking for bigger corners and bigger wide receivers. So maybe what used to be running backs, they're moving over to different positions, both mm-hmm. offensively and defensively. And so I think what we're going to see is a transition in what's occurring with running backs. So I do think Adrian Peterson is going to be kind of the death of – I think Adrian Jamal Peterson – sort of No, I think, Jamal, I think Jamal Charles is a little more scat back. He's a little more balanced. But I think, the, like, the idea for Adrian Peterson, like, he cannot run out of the shotgun. He does not catch the ball out of the backfield. He strictly runs out of eye formation. Like, I think he's going to be the last great one like that we see. And I think Todd Gurley, although he's going to be very close to it, I do think we'll see him do more things associated with the pass game. So he won't quite be Adrian Peterson. But really, after that, what's that? He can hit the ball better than AP and not fumble. Oh, for sure. For sure. No, he had to. You know, in the SEC there, you know, they had to utilize him out of the backfield occasionally. Um, now, I'm not saying that he did a lot, but every once in a while, you would definitely see him do that. And, and if, realistically, when you look into the NCAA now, you don't see a lot of those kinds of backs. A lot of backs, even the bigger ones, are learning how to be a bat, how to catch the ball out of the backfield, how to do different things. Like, even if it's just a simple angle route, right, or run a wheel route, just, you know, one or two routes. It's not a whole lot, but it's enough to be more of a versatile weapon. And to be honest, everybody else says that he is this OT specialist. Emphasis on can be. He's not specially unit. Shown flashes. He's still in a three-man committee. He may separate himself, but he's still in a committee. And a running back can't truly be special until they are on their own. I mean, it's fine to have guys behind him, but you're kind of covering up the shortcomings with rotation. Um, I think it's pass blocking is sloppy. You got Palmer hit a lot this preseason. And last season, uh, I think he still has a long way to go. My argument to that with other people is I'd probably take Mark Ingram at the at this time. He's a little more developed than that head for. And people are like, oh he fumbles, he still gets benched. And he's never crossed a thousand yards. Okay, he's never crossed a thousand yards. But he's not completely unproven. Yeah, and I think I think what we're going to find lots of times in the rate, like right now we're going to find, I think, running back position overall. You're either going to find you have someone who's unproven or you're going to find someone who you know what they are, they're a known quantity, but there's just enough of a problem in their game to where it could bother you a little bit. You know, I mean, like, I, mean, I, I, I can pick apart David Johnson too, but I'm not going to do that. Like, you're not a true fan. I'm like, a true fan knows his team's losses. I said this team can go from 4-12 and 12, or 2-14, and 14, possibly. Then you go completely bad to 11-5. and They're so, like, you're crazy. This roster is so good. Not really. 
we have a lot of holes. Yeah, and... Oh, keep going. I mean, I'm I'm sure some things could be said for the Raiders. They're not perfect in their areas. I mean, there's still a lot of work that can be done. I mean, they're still a good team. And, of course, if things went wrong for them, they could be a bottom of barrels. You know, there's no for sure thing with any team. Yeah, and I think the running back position is going to be one where, in general, in running games in general, teams are going to become very, very specialized in what they do and what they do well. You're not going to see teams who are dominant in the run game in all aspects of it. You're going to see they dominate on certain plays, certain concepts, certain formations. I think it's going to become much more specific on how teams operate with the running game and how it incorporates more with the passing game. Well, I also think it has to do with the offensive lines. You look at the Dolphins' offensive line. You have four left tackles at every position just about, except for Thompson. So your strength is going to be in a pass blocking, but when it comes to run blocking, you're going to be completely unrivaled. I mean, it just depends on what your strength of your offensive line is. Are you going to be a good running team or you're not? And say the players are bad, but if you're truly a great player, you can overcome it. Yeah, and I think we'll, like what we're seeing, for instance, uh, I think this is a good example. Like, take the Titans, right? The Titans. Let's take the Titans and Raiders game, and I, th- and I think this works as an interesting little foil for what this discussion. So a lot of Raider fans very, very worried about the run defense, right, because of what they saw in two games in preseason. If you go back and look at both games, both against Green Bay Packers and Tennessee Titans, and you look at what run plays were being done, it was all zone blocking scheme with a back, with usually a boot combo off of it. And the runs that hurt the Raiders were all backside cuts, which means your backside uh, pursuit needs to stay disciplined to make sure they're filling the gaps properly. It doesn't mean that the run that the team was that great at running. Realistically, the Raiders were clocking up the Tennessee Titans at the point of attack on most runs. Even the deep, even the touchdown that the Titans had against the Raiders, the Raiders had a heavy run blitz to the strong side of the formation, and on top of that, Khalil Mack completely blew past his assignment. So realistically, it wasn't anything the Titans did. It was poor play on the Raiders half. But the point is, is it's not that necessarily the Tennessee Titans are going to be this crazy great run team. It's that what they've done is they've assembled a group of players that really fit a concept, and they're going to utilize the concept to the best of their ability. The Broncos, very similar. The Panthers, very similar. The Panthers have a crap offensive line, flat out. Player for player, Mm -hmm. it's garbage. But the way to utilize... The way they utilize certain concepts plays well with the players they have. And that's the key, is finding that great combination of player skill set and really making it work. And I think, like I said, you know, it's not in one of those things now where you, you have so many disparate types of offensive linemen now. You have guys that are strictly zone blocking. You have guys that are more athletic. You have big maulers. 
You have some that don't really run block well, but that pass block better. You have some that are great run blockers, but don't pass block well. And I think what you're seeing is you're seeing guys who are, they're just so naturally orientated to one particular thing that coaches just really focus on that. And so they end up having other weaknesses that you have to kind of round them off on, you know, in terms of the professional game. So what you're having now is you're really having to gear what you do to fit those exact abilities, right, and and really kind of make it work. So I just, I just don't think, you know, it, it was great, you know, for 30 years in the NFL where essentially every single offensive lineman came from some sort of power run scheme for the most part. You know, it was easy to find these guys. You know, your tackles, your best tackles all look the same. Your best guards all look the same. You know, it, it, it was so prototypical that it was rare to have the outlier. Now, I think you're pretty much killing whatever is a quote-unquote prototype because there are so many ways to skin the cat. You know, there's so many ways. You know, we're seeing tackles with shorter arms who have better kick steps that can compensate for it. We're seeing guards who are actually look more like tackles, but because they have pretty nimble feet, they make really good pulling guards. You know, it's mm-hmm. like we're we're seeing a lot of weird things that don't necessarily match up with historical norms. Well, that was our debate for today. Or not, or not really debate, but <laughs> I well, me getting something on my chest and we talk about it. But we should probably do a segment about that. You do one one next week, we do one another week. Blah, blah, blah. Say that again? We should probably make this a recurring segment. We talk about something like this each week at the back end of the show. Yeah, I mean, there's always... There's always going to be um, there's always going to be opportunity to talk about things other than football. You know, it just happens to be right now it's a great time to do it because there's not a whole lot of football to talk about. Uh, it's one of those things where, you know, it would have been nice had there been a little bit more meat to to the cuss today. Well, and there is kind of the the Teddy Bridgewater thing. I think we glossed over that a little bit and to kind of go back to it. You know, I think the question we have to ask ourselves is what's the impact going to be long term for Teddy Bridgewater in the Vikings. And honestly, I don't think it changes. I mean, it could for Laquentra's well development. And some of the yeah, I, I do think, I think there's a chemistry issue, for sure, mm-hmm. because you're missing a year of Teddy Bridgewater. But in terms of what we think about, like, the scheme, right, we know Adrian Peterson can't run out of the shotgun, so we know you're pretty much going to be wasting Teddy Bridgewater. He's not going to be doing what he does best. But... Does that really change the plan for the Vikings? I don't think so. I still think by the end of this year, you're probably going to be hearing Peterson out the door, and then it's going to become Teddy Bridgewater's team. You know, assuming everything feels right. I think Jerk can really thrive in that position when Peterson's gone. I think they could put, I think, wouldn't be surprised if next draft they're drafting, you know, two or three running backs, and they'll just see which ones fit. I mean, next year is going to be in the same class. We talked about how the difference in running styles have been through the years. I think it could go sort of back to what it was for maybe a little bit in the next few years. I don't see a major shift. 
um, they're just a lot more faster, a lot more powerful backs coming into the NFL next year. And it's going to be a really interesting class. Hopefully, we see no more committees due to these, you know, backs that probably should be at the workhorse. Yeah, I, I think overall in the NFL, we're going to be getting away from the workhorse back. Um, I've I think we're maybe going long, back to it after next year's class. I just, I don't, I think there are a couple of very interesting running backs in that class. I agree with you. But I think NFL teams are going to be very hesitant to go and throw out a running back for 300-plus times a season early on. They may well, wait. Proper depth. Yeah, and I, I just think teams want to insulate themselves for that. And I think teams are thinking on more of a sustainable, long-term plane, you know. And I mean, it might be year three, year four. What's that? Bernie Bernard was supposed to be, for the Bengals, the workforce, but the next should be drafted Jeremy Hill. They use one up one year, they use the other one up really the next year. It's sort of so one guy doesn't burn up so much. I think they're both capable back. I mean, yeah. I think that's just what's going to be evolved to. For sure. And I and I think most, you even some of these backs that are coming out, right, you know, we're going to have Fournette, McCaffrey, and, McCaffrey um, and, Chubb. you know, Chubb, all these cats. I think it, it'll be one of those things where you know, the teams that really handle them well are going to be teams that aren't going to throw them in immediately, that are going to keep them kind of balanced for a couple years, and then it's going to be like year three, year four, they'll really use them up and then decide if they want to keep them or not. You know, that's sort really going to be the way to use them. To do. Yeah, I even I don't, I don't I don't think Ezekiel Elliott is going to all of a sudden see 300 carries a season. I think yeah. you probably look at it more like 15 carries a game. Because well, they got Darren McFadden. They had Alfred Morris. They're going to trickle guys in, you know? I think it could increase a tad bit with Romo out. I think uh, overall, when Romo carries will increase, yes. But it doesn't necessarily mean it has to be Zico Elliott. Yeah, Alfred Morris had a great preseason. And he just shows he still has it. Last year was sort of a bad year. Um, Jared McFadden, who knows, after he tried catching his phone or something like that. Honestly, don't even remember the story with Jared McFadden. Uh, you'll never know the story of Darren McFadden. He's kind of uh, he's a different he cat, you know. He, he, did something to catch his phone or something, dislocated something or something like that? I, the dude is made, I wouldn't say he's made out of rubber, because I think they'll never get hurt. He's made out of, like, I don't know. Plastic. What's something that breaks that's really easy to fix? Plastic. Oh, not plastic. Um, yeah. He's like, you know what he's like? He's like a gigantic 3D jigsaw puzzle that you could just <laughs> flick a thing and a piece falls out, but then you can find the piece and put it back in really easily. Not sure if that really makes any sense, but it makes sense to me. Uh, I get, I get what you're going with. Yeah. Well, it's uh, we're in that time. Um, where can we find you on Twitter? Where can people find 
your new show. And catch you on Sunday. Uh, of course, at holistic underscore pickle. Uh, I will, this the plan for those who are wondering about what the plan for my show and what's going to be going on. I'll be working on social media platforms this weekend, getting those ready to rock. I'll probably be doing a fun little run through, testing out some of the technology and stuff uh, next week, next Tuesday before uh, I do my first uh, game broadcast for the Raider game. So um, right now, uh, tentatively looking at Tuesday night to do uh, the Rory Anderson agenda. That's the name of the show. So it will. Uh, the normally the show will be ninety minutes long. I think I'll probably do something closer to like sixty minutes. Um, but it'll be fun. And then we could probably move this show to Sunday nights, like we talked about, and just do your show. Or we can do Monday nights if that's possible with your job. Uh, we'll see. Maybe we'll lean towards maybe end of the week. I don't know. We'll figure it out. It'll be one of the two. We usually do. Yeah. Well, you can find me at Isaiah V capital F underscore capital NFL. Uh, the link to the show is in my bio. You can listen to any past or uh, any catch up to the feature episodes. We'll probably tweet out when there's a new one. Uh, pretty soon it'll be on iTunes. I don't know about Stitcher yet, but We'll figure that out. Um, like I said, there should be a new open at the beginning of the season. Uh, hopefully the soundboard gets fixed here. We can actually get some drafts. All righty. We're going to get all high tech. <laughs> well, it's been a pleasure, as always, Rory. Oh, of course. And don't work too hard, broken man. <laughs> I feel like an old man with a bad back. <laughs> All right, Tony Romo. <laughs> All right, till next time. Here. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.